0: In today's episode, we discuss Midwest versus LA living, the benefits of diversity, keeping a curious mind, philosophy, the benefits of the classics, and more. If you'd like to support the show, please hop on renaissance-wisdom.com and check out our exclusive line of merch, and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today's show is brought to you by IcePod, finally an affordable, portable, and effective way to get the benefits of cold water immersion in the comfort of your own home. I opted for the Pro Bundle, which includes the ice pod, a water circulating pump, a special insulated lid, and a thermometer to check the temp of your water. Even in Georgia, the ice pod keeps my water between 60 and 70 degrees and when I load it up with a 36 pack of water bottles that I use and refreeze after each session, I can easily get it around 50 degrees for the perfect cold water immersion experience. Despite being light and portable, the ice pod is super durable and it's the perfect solution for anyone who wants to experience the benefits of cold water immersion without spending thousands of dollars for a home water chiller or trying to DIY your own. Cold immersion can help with recovery and muscle soreness, raise dopamine levels, help you wake up and be more alert, help you to burn more calories, mobilize brown fat, and more. Visit podcompany.com and use my special promo code SHANE50107 for $10 off your order, and each sale helps to support the show as well. Stay cool out there, people. Are you looking for the perfect high-protein snack that isn't loaded with stuff like MSG, nitrates, and sugar? Carnivore Snacks is the perfect high-protein snack made from quality grass-fed beef and salt. That's it. Each bag uses one pound of high-quality beef, lamb, pork, or chicken, salt, and nothing else. Aside from being easy, healthy, and convenient, they also taste great. These snacks are not just another jerky. They are way better. Give a bag a try, and I know you'll keep coming back. Check out CarnivoreSnacks, spelled with an X, dot com, and enter coupon code SHANE05137 for 15% off your order, and each sale will help support the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast as well. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hey everybody. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Laken Romine. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Shane. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: No problem. I'm, I'm glad we could uh, finally link up. I know we've been exchanging messages yeah. about getting something going here for a while. So ah. I'm excited to pick your brain today.
1: I'm super excited. Feel free to ask me anything. I'm game for it.
0: Well, first off, for for anybody that's watching the the audio, I'm I'm really intrigued by like your your tapestry there in the back. That, that oh, this, looks pretty.
1: So this is actually it's a painting. Um, it was oh, done. Okay. It was uh, a piece I commissioned from one of my good friends, Ross Pino, who is a Brooklyn-based artist, street artist, graffiti artist, mixed media. He's amazing, and so I've been in this apartment here, I guess, three years now. And I wanted something really significant and meaningful and large. So I reached out to him and he's not only a dear friend, but someone who's kind of had like some similar life experiences to me. So I felt like he was the right person to really bring this piece to life. And now it serves as the background of my kitchen table. So it's very cool. Very, very meaningful.
0: Very cool for sure. Yeah. So Why don't don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, you you and your background?
1: Sure. Um, My name is Lakin Romine. I am a model, an artist, and a creator. I currently live in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've kind of had multiple jobs and career trajectories throughout my life, but I really feel like... I found something um, with where I am right now that's kind of an authentic representation of who I am, what I love, and I've been able to kind of create this hybrid place of work um, and fuse the two together. So it's kind of an exciting place to be in now and take parts from all different my backgrounds and what I've done and kind of be here now.
0: Very cool. And so so tell us a little bit about like what you're working on now. I know that I saw you have like a jewelry line that you're launching and you're doing a lot of modeling and it looks like you've done some acting. Like what what do you have going on currently?
1: So for the most part, I do modeling full time. Um, I kind of split my time between East Coast, West Coast. L.A. is mostly my home base now. Um, I had have kind of on-again, off-again relationship with a clothing line. Um, It was something I created in the middle of COVID, and it was like a tie-dye, kind of high-end luxury loungewear. And aside from that, I'm also an abstract painter and mixed media artist. So. Um, I make a lot of weird collages and <laughs> big, big abstract paintings for fun.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah. sound, sounds like you're a bit all over the place, which I know we were talking before we hit record there for a second. I, I really enjoy the idea of, and of course this applies to women too, but you know, there's this idea from the Renaissance, the Renaissance man. And we, we think about people like uh, Da Vinci and Michelangelo who we're able to like dabble in all different types of art and dabble in philosophy and dabble in inventions and science and mathematics. And um, But yes, I, I really enjoy when people are kind of dabbling in different things and bringing that spirit of the Renaissance back. And that's something that I talk a lot about in my book with eudaimonia, this idea that human beings are at their best when they're constantly kind of reaching towards perfection and many different things. I think that especially in the United States and in like the Western world, there's so much emphasis on running out there and specializing and just doing one thing and trying to be the very, very best at that one thing. But I think there's so much value in doing many different things and getting lots of different experiences and having different hobbies. Uh, So I I, I love to, like I said, talk to anybody that is doing something like that. I think it's very inspiring.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important. I think there is kind of what, to, to reiterate and kind of build on what you were saying, there is this, I feel like overarching idea in Western culture that like you choose one path, and that's it. And that's all you get. And you're kind of married to that from a young age. And that's what you do. That's who you are. That's your identity. And I think that the experience of life is so much bigger than that. And I'm also a firm believer of, you know, you don't always have to be the absolute best at something, I think you can gain wisdom, experience, the ability to meet people to build relationships, which for me is almost far more important than like having a gold medal for being the best because the true value lies in the experience itself. Um, And it's a much more holistic web of like I was saying, relationships, learning, kind of cross-linking different things more so than just being like, yeah, on paper, I'm number one.
0: For sure. I, I my, Part of my background, um, I guess it's been so many years, time flies by. I can't believe I'm like 34, huh? but um, <laughs> I, I moved from Indiana, actually down to Atlanta, Georgia, in order to do Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu full-time. So like I'm, I'm a black belt so- now at at the time I moved down here, I think I was, I was like 23 and I was a blue belt and I was just kind of starting out and I had huge dreams of being like a world champion. And Mm -hmm. I trained really, really, really hard. I was fully dedicated to it. I pretty basically put all of my life into it. And you know, one day I got injured and I had some time off before a major tournament and I had time to just reflect. And one of the things that happened was I asked myself, why I needed this world championship. Like what, what changes when I get a world championship? And when I really was really honest and I started questioning myself, I, I kind of realized that like nothing really changes, right. You're still yeah. doing the thing that you're supposed to enjoy that the, the medal doesn't really change anything at all. And I, I realized that it was this idea that I had to prove something, I think to myself or maybe to other people. And when I was able to let go of that. I had a lot more freedom in life to just, to just do the things that I enjoyed.
1: Absolutely. It's kind of like dangling the proverbial carrot in front of yourself for yeah. all of eternity. Like, okay. Once I do this, I'll feel this way. Once I do this, I'll feel this way. Um, and I recently heard a, read a poem called Ithaca. I can't remember who exactly it is, but hopefully I, I can send a link or send it to you or whatever. <laughs> And it was basically kind of what we were talking about, that it's not the accomplishment or the end goal or like becoming, you know, meeting this mark. It's more so the person you become on the way to meet that mark that really matters. And that is within itself, the greatest reward.
0: Absolutely. So. And and we do this thing, I, I've been thinking a lot about this in, you know, just recently, but this idea that we always postpone like our happiness. We, yeah. we tell ourselves, you know, I'll be happy when I get this and yep. then we get there and then there's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And happiness and contentment really is a choice in this moment. I, I think it's so true that if you can't be happy now, exactly where you are exactly in this moment, you can never reach happiness until you can learn to be happy in the moment. Right. Because happiness I- is experienced in the moment it's not experienced in the future
1: yeah absolutely and it, it like you said it's a choice it's For a sure. thousand a choice
0: tell tell me a little bit about uh i'm i'm always interested i'm a i'm a midwestern boy i know we. i was telling you i'm from a little little tiny town in indiana and you're coming from yeah. nashville which isn't the uh isn't a little tiny town right it's a no
1: used to be when I was there. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was gonna say it's grow It's changed a lot over the last 10 years. It's, yeah. it's almost like a little, uh, little Vegas strip there now. But
1: oh, it's definitely Nash Vegas. Not Vegas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so coming, you know, coming from the Midwest, and, you know, going out to LA, I, I know, and obviously, LA has changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years, yeah. too. But and I know you said you've, you've kind of adapted because you went out there so long. But you know what? What are the some? What are some of the key differences that you pick up just you know in the culture and also just in you know growing up like in a small town versus living in you know a big city like LA.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. How much time do we have?
0: <laughs> that, I've got uh, time.
1: You've got time. Okay, I you know my my best answer to that question was I was I was kind of fortunate that. My dad got a job transfer when I was 12 years old. So we moved from Nashville to Los Angeles. So I was kind of at this like middle school coming of age point in my life when we relocated to Los Angeles. Um, It was incredibly, incredibly hard for me. The first, I would say like two or three years, even weird things like California's 75 and sunny, all throughout the year. I came from a place that had four very distinctive seasons. And I felt like mm-hmm. with those seasons came, even just kind of like an emotional and spiritual closure and rebirth. Um, and then all of a sudden it was like mm-hmm. sunshine and palm trees for Christmas or for summer. It was It was kind of this like interminable happiness and sunshine that was oddly very impactful to me. Um, the people were very different. The lifestyle was radically different. The values were very different. And I don't necessarily think one is better than the other. I think there's good and bad in both. Um, I think there's pros and cons in both. One thing that I'm very, very grateful for was the level of exposure I had moving to Los Angeles and meeting people from all around the world, meeting Mm -hmm. people from all different backgrounds and religions. And it kind of changed my view of how the world worked and how I saw things and even what I thought was possible. and I think it was such a blessing to grow up in a place where we were a little bit on the outskirts of of Los Angeles. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the northern part of the valley. So a much more suburban area than like roaring <laughs> downtown L.A., Hollywood, anything like that. Um, but it was a huge cultural shift. And, you know, all of a sudden I had friends that were from different parts of the world or spoke different languages or their parents spoke different languages. And it was so enriching and it was so Um, Mm eye-opening. And it kind of made me feel hungry for more and to feel like the world was so much larger than I'd once perceived it. And I thought it was a really, really beautiful, really positive thing. Um, So I, I think I had the best opportunity uh, long, like to wrap that up, it just, it, it gave me a new perspective that I, I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I was in a space where I was, I was very protected. Like I said, I didn't have some of the same dangerous exposures to people that are in other parts of this town. I also was living at home with my parents. So it wasn't like I was 18 years old, coming to the big city trying to figure it all out, having someone, you know, scam me on the corner of Hollywood and Highland. Like I, I had a, a, a much safer environment than I think most people do when they come from the Southeast Midwest into a large metropolis like LA. Um, so I, I feel very blessed to have that and to have that perspective.
0: I, I really like the, because I had a similar experience when I moved to Atlanta, although I was, you know, I was an adult ish. I was, you know, twenty twenty two twenty three, 22, 23, but I grew up in this little tiny town in Indiana and it was, there was absolutely no diversity. I mean, we didn't have anybody Asian. We didn't, I mean, we, we had like a couple of, uh, a couple of black kids that were adopted. You know, we had, there was like a Mexican family. I was like best friends with him growing up and mm-hmm that was pretty much it. Like that was my exposure to any sort of diversity and coming to Atlanta, you know, you just driving through the suburbs, you just, you see all different like ethnicities and all different, you know, religions. And you, you see people, you know, walking in like traditional Indian garb and traditional Muslim garb and like all, all these different things you see. And I, it was actually something that I really enjoyed when I first came, because I've always felt like I was kind of the city boy that grew up in the small town for some reason. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of sad because I feel like before everything became so politically charged, things like diversity, like hearing diversity was kind of inspiring to me because they were like, "You, you really get to see and experience and go through all these different cultures and learn. And like you said, expand your mind, but it's, everything's become so polarized now that it's almost like any sort of like opposing views kind of get like shut out. And I think that we collectively as a society, we've divided ourselves so much that we have like one half sitting on one side of the aisle and one half sitting on the other side of the aisle. And there's so much that people could learn from people from everywhere. And I, uh, sure. I, I hate to see that. I hate, I hate that polarization. Yeah. The fact that people, don't really get inspired by learning from someone that maybe they disagree with anymore. It's like people can't really talk.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of, it's, it's definitely, at least in my lifetime and it feels more polarizing and I feel like as a country, we're more polarized than we've, we've been, which is odd. Um, And kind of sad to see because I would, I, I'm, of the same mindset that like, I love to learn from people that are different from me, or that see the world through a different lens that I do, you know, I feel like I studied anthropology and history in undergrad. And it was one of the most eye opening things because I was able to get outside of myself and to say, Oh, wow, I've actually never thought of that perspective. I've never considered that or whatever. And so you're given an opportunity to see the same story from somebody else's viewpoint. And I think it's a really beautiful, really powerful thing. Um, And I think we should listen to each other. I think, you know, even if it's five different people that are looking at the same thing, everyone's going to have a different point of view and a different uh, contribution to the storyline. And I think there's value in that. An immense amount of value in that. Yeah,
0: that. Yeah, I just that. That's one of the big things I. I hope that we'll see a change in in the coming years is maybe a decrease in that polarity where people are able to have discussions again because it's like I remember even not that I was overly political when I was a kid, but I can remember you know people that like I can remember the time when Democrats and Republicans like didn't really believe that much different, you know, like they had certain things that they disagreed on and, you know, they may argue about those things at like Christmas dinner, but it's like now everything is so charged where it's like, you go to a family get together and people are just like, no, like you can't say anything. You can't like, yeah. 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 Or or people just disown. Like you, you literally see families just disown family members because they have a different, you know, political belief. I know that's just politics. It's like, it, that's different than like diversity and, you know, talking about people, of different religions, but I just, I don't know. I, I miss that like open, that openness. I mi- I miss that sense of wonder that I had when I came to Atlanta for the first time. And like you did when you went to LA and you're like, wow, there, there's all these religions. There's all these worlds that I've never even envisioned. Right. You know, it, it's such a, uh, such an inspiring thing to just to be around that.
1: It is. It it, re- it really was. And I feel like it's such a keystone of my life. And I know in the future, when I have children, I want them to have that same level of exposure, um, just to different people and to different ways of life and walks of life and religion and background and languages. It's, it's such, it's such a beautiful place to be in and such a beautiful thing to see. Yeah.
0: I I wanted to ask you a little bit about, uh, I know that you have a little bit of acting experience. Like I saw that, you know, you, you were like a child star on the invited. It was like an old older horror movie. And, um, do you, I mean, do you have any plans of getting back into that? Do you do acting? Is that something that you just did as a kid that you hate now? Or like, what's that like? You
1: know, it is, it is so funny, Shane. So, um, I got into acting, so I don't tell this story much, but it was when I lived in Nashville and, um, I was in fourth grade and we had a fourth grade play that we had to do. And there were four classrooms at my middle school and each classroom, um, was assigned a different type of like Tennessee history or whatever. So we got the classroom I was in, got the Grand Ole Opry and, um, each kid in the classroom had a different character, and my character was Minnie Pearl. I don't know if you know her or have any idea no. who she is. She was, she was really, she was like a famous Grand Ole Opry actress. She was also on the show Hee Haw, which was like a redneck SNL in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. Um, but I played her, and I absolutely fell in love with theater acting. And I thought it was amazing and so fun. Um, and then I was, I was probably like 10 years old. And then when we moved to California about a year and a half, two years later, um, the conversation kind of came up like, oh, like, maybe I could do some acting or at least try. And so. Because you're in L.A., uh, right?
0: So, like, why, yeah, you- why would you not?
1: Right. It's like, smoke them if you got them. You're here. I, this was like in the heyday of film and movies and just kind of every mm-hmm. kind of that magical Hollywood moment that um, you and I were very close in age. So we, we grew up with. So um, I got an agent and I did a little bit of acting. I was on Zoe 101 and According to Jim and I. Um, I did a short film that went to Sundance and a bunch of other movie festivals, and then they invited, which was a uh, like a, gosh, I don't know, C maybe D level horror film.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but I always loved the art of performing, and um, it it's something I feel like I still do with modeling. It's just not as verbal. Um, however, it's come up to me and it's been in many conversations recently where people have been like, Oh, have, you know, have you done acting? Would you consider acting? Do you want to do acting? Um, so I'm, I'm like, maybe there's, maybe I should go back to my roots. Maybe there's something here that I'm missing, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm definitely open to it. It's it's very different than modeling and it's very different the hours and the workload and even like the expectation. But I mean, yeah, I'm a thousand percent open to it. Sure.
0: And I guess um I guess I don't know, like I'm I'm assuming that there's probably a little bit more longevity in acting to a sense, right? Like modeling you kind of have a little bit more of a window that you have to you have to fall within that's just part of being a human being but you know there's yeah
1: you do i mean i will say i will say with modeling the the good thing is that the industry and where it is now is not where it was 15 20 years ago Mm. um i'm 31 years old no way i'd be able to do this just based off age alone um most of the work that I'm cast for is like from the 24 to 27 range. So that's good that I'm playing younger, but 15, 20 years ago, that was, this was never on the table. Um, I think the longevity of acting is very different. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's hard too. like, unless you were doing, big roles or you're on a sitcom or you're, you know, a, a big star, it's, it's really hard to make money and support yourself, um, doing that.
0: I mean, what, what was your experience like being, being a teenager? Cause it sounds like a lot of the acting that you did was kind of in like your teenage years. I mean, how is that? Like when you're still so, I guess like formative, is it confusing to, to start like adapting to different roles when you don't even really have yourself figured out yet or
1: I mean there was different there was definitely some some like weird things that I think about it in yeah. retrospect um I think I hadn't had enough life experience to really understand some of the roles that I was reading for um I have an incredible family I had an incredible upbringing um I had a great community of friends and like I would get these Crazy dark scripts, and I was like, I don't even know, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, um, but at 31, I think it would be a different story because I've had so much more life experience. Uh, it was very confusing, I think, when I was younger, and um, by the time I was probably 14, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, a school play is cool, um you know, getting up, acting with your friends for two or three weeks to do a Romeo and Juliet or like whatever the school production was, was still fun to me versus trying to like wrap my head around these bizarre different characters that I I just couldn't comprehend. Um, So by the time I was 14, I would say I was, I was really overacting um, Yeah. and maybe even a little bit before that, I, I fell in love with sports, volleyball, track. And so, um, that really took up most of my high school experience.
0: Yeah, I, I had a guy, so I saw my day job, I like manage partially own some gyms here in Atlanta. And I had, we had a guy that came and signed up the other day and uh, I don't want to give, like, too much information, but he's he's an actor, and he's getting ready to kind of do his, like, big debut scene, and um, so he's he's coming in to do some training with us to just make sure that he's kind of, like, ready for his role and in shape and all that, <laughs> and, you know, he's, like, telling us about the, the role, what he's able to tell us, because, of course, there's, like, an NDA and everything, but... Okay you know he he just casually is like yeah you know the the character's like really dark and has all these issues and they're telling me i'll probably need to take some therapy like after the role and i'm like that just sounds terrible to like have to immerse yourself into these like some of these like dark uh yeah. bad places and you're you're kind of like inventing this trauma that kind of i mean obviously you did it for a very short time but uh, right. i could see how like that like that's the real work in acting right i guess is just
1: absolutely. And the hours are exhausting. Yeah. I mean, you're working 14, 15, 16, 18 hour days. Um, your kind of period for shooting is, is really tight. It's really small. It's like, you know, we've got to do 16 hour days for a month, two months, three months, whatever it is to get it done. Um, my boyfriend's in film, he's, he's a producer. And so his job is is I feel like close enough to, you know, storytelling and and kind of the parts of movies and film that I really love, but it's not so, um, in the trenches, really. Yeah, (laughs) Cause that's tough. I mean, it's, it's trench warfare and like, you know, you see, I don't know, parts you read for on billboards and you're like, Oh, that could have been me. Um, and I've heard it from different friends that are actors or uh, different people in the industry. And it's just, it's, it's very psychologically tough. Not only I think to, to be an amazing actor, you have to go to dark places and very complicated places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on the other side too, you're navigating an industry of long hours, low pay, your rivals, this, that, like it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I, sure. I
0: And so, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like generally you're, you enjoy modeling more. It se- seems like that's really what you're, you're gravitating to. Is um, there, do you have like any experiences through modeling that really stand out or any like memories, any things that you've gone through that you really think back to?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, the one that I always jokingly call my magnum opus is, um, I walked for uh, Scaparelli, which is a high fashion couture designer based out of Paris, and um, the original designer, Elsa Schiaparelli, was very good friends with Salvador Dali, and the line mm-hmm. still kind of pays homage to the surreal designs and kind of the, the surreal spirit of Elsa Schiaparelli. And so, um, I would say, I think like three, four years back, um, the, the runway show was actually at the Salvador Dali Museum. And Salvador Dali is my favorite painter. Um, so it was so cool because here I was in this Parisian haute couture walking next to some of my favorite pieces of art ever created. And it was this really, really beautiful dynamic fusion. Um, and I, like, I still, I still look at the pictures from it. I'm like, there's no way this actually happened to me (laughs) (laughs) because it's such a cool moment and it was such a beautiful marriage of both art and fashion. Um, so that one always like is very, very high up for me.
0: That's awesome. And it, it kind of leads me into the next thing. You know, I I know that you're, you're very into art, you're into Mm -hmm. architecture. I know that you said you studied, um, you know, anthropology and I know you're into architecture and reading. Yeah. What is it about, you know, the past or what is it about some of these older things that inspires you?
1: Um, it's a, it's a complex question. I think, I think good art For me, I feel like is God materialized. I feel like anything that I look at and feel that I'm inspired by, it kind of brings me closer to the highest version of myself. Um, At least that's my perspective on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think history for me has always been something that I've loved. I was so fortunate. I had a... I had five great-grandparents until I was 10 years old, four until I was 16, Mm. and my last great-grandparent passed away when I was 28 years old. So I had this amazing connection to my family that they'd lived through both World Wars and the Depression and all of these changing events that I only knew about from books, but I had the ability to talk to them about. I used to watch old movies with my great grandmother, and she would introduce me to Hitchcock movies and old foreign films. And so I got to kind of see what was celebrated in her time with her with someone who was actually there. Um, And I think all of those play a really significant role in my life. Um, I also just love When I was young, I loved ancient Egypt and I believe Howard Carter found King Tut's tomb in 1922, which kind of set off this like massive boom of this ancient Egypt obsession throughout the world. And a lot of 1920s and 1930s, Art Deco is inspired and taken from kind of this discovery of, of this ancient Egyptian tomb. And so those weave together always appealed to me. Um, my favorite movie growing up was *The Wizard of Oz*, and seeing that with my grandmother, and also just the influences of seeing the actual footage from the original movie premiere with Judy Garland and with everyone at the Man's Chinese Theater uh, was really iconic too. So. It was kind of cool to um, have all of those moments together and then draw from them. I think, too, maybe I just romanticized the past, <laughs> mm-hmm. as, I think, as I think some people do. You know, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, people were so much more artistic or expressive. And it's like, well, maybe, but who really knows? You know, that could just be your own romanticism of, of days gone by.
0: Sure. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good points there. I want to touch on like with,
1: yeah, sorry. That was a lot to get. <laughs> no,
0: it's good. Like... That lot, a lot of good stuff. The, the, the golden age thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what this movie was. And I, like, I always, I want to say maybe it was midnight in Paris, but I don't, I don't know if it was, but it was like this movie where this guy lived in like the semi-modern age. It was like the two thousands. And he talked about how great, like the 1960s were. And then he, yeah. or I think it was like the 1940s. And he like goes back to the 1940s oh, and like.
1: One film, Midnight in Paris.
0: It was Midnight in Paris, right?
1: Yeah, Okay. And then in
0: Paris. And then they go back to like 1910. And then everyone's like, oh, like 1890 was so great. And they just keep going back and totally. they just keep going back. And there's, yeah. <laughs> they get back and they realize there's all these problems in the people that are living. So I, I think that that's certainly- something that I try to think about when I, you know, when I look back to like the Renaissance, uh, this, you know, this golden age that I look back to is like, yeah, it was a lot of good stuff, but you know, the plague killed like 70% of the population (laughs) and uh, you know, there were huge divides in like the wealth gap and (laughs) yeah. So there, it is important, I think, to not romanticize too much, but to appreciate, you know, and something that, that I talk about in my book and especially in this like kind of modern climate that we're in is when you talk about Western philosophy or you talk about like the Renaissance or some of these, like, you know, when you talk about Rome or Greece, a lot of times people kind of just put it off and they're like, well, you know, those they're just colonizers. And they're like, and it's like, we're supposed to forget all of the great things that we learned, all the art, all the sciences, all the developments, all the good, just because, you know, maybe they, they owned slaves at that time or because like they, they weren't as enlightened. Right. But period, like societies go through these periods where, you know, maybe we get a little bit more open-minded, but there's this progression towards something. Right. And I, I, it is important, right. Like not to get caught up in the golden age to, to recognize that the times weren't perfect, but at the same time, yeah. to be able to look objectively and pull things that are valuable out because there there's so much wisdom like you said from even even just back from like the the world war ii generation or the people who lived through the great depression i mean imagine how much wisdom those people have or had to to pass on to us and people are like oh they're just old you know like just don't listen to them um but it's life experience brings wisdom if you keep your mind open you you have a a a little bit of an open mind to just try to pick up those those things as you go there's so much that you can teach somebody absolutely you know when you talked about art too i think that like something i dislike about modern art and not all modern Mm -hmm. art right i don't want to completely generalize but like the super super like crazy postmodern or like the dada art for example like you know, like I get it. I get it said a statement, but to me, when you, when you go and you look at an exhibit and there's like a toilet and it has like yellow paint all over it, like that's not, you know, what does that really inspire? I know maybe there's some kind of message there. I get it. It's an expression.
1: Yeah,
0: Art is art. But like when you go to the Sistine Chapel, you know, and you look at the creation of Adam or you look at the thing behind you, even like you look at the art behind you, you look at something like beautiful. There's something that you can see there that's lasting and it's, it's hard to put into words, right. But it inspires something in you, you see it and there's, there's, there's a spirit inside of this like bag of meat that we are. And it it sees that beauty. And, you know, Plato even talked about that all the way back in the ancient world and philosophy that, you know, the poets and the artists, they were, they were tapping into this divine beauty. And the reason that it inspires people is because it's, just like a little piece of the divine that we can see. And, yeah. you know, we, we see it in nature and I, there's, so there's a reason that some of the things from the ancient world, you know, there's a reason that the Iliad and uh, the Odyssey are still read today and people still read it. And they're inspired because they're, they, they tapped into something. There, there's some things oh. that transcend the time that they were written in. And I think it's important, you know, for us to appreciate that not to just throw things out, but. Yeah. So, on the topic of reading, right? I know that sounds sounds like you do a, a fair bit of reading, and you're you're pretty diverse in what you get into. Like, what are, what are your summer or some of your favorite topics or favorite things to read?
1: <sighs> um, like top five. Top five well, gonna, favorite. Books.
0: I'm going to ask you later in the, in a later section, I'm going to ask you your top two. So I'm going to make you narrow it all the way down to two, but okay. like just in general, I mean, do you, you enjoy, uh, you know, fiction, nonfiction, you enjoy history, a little bit of everything. Like
1: a, a mix, a mix of everything. I'm not as into fiction. Um, I prefer more nonfiction history. Um, philosophy poetry there's my romanticism showing again um even like i don't want to say like pseudo self-help but like the four agreements i i think is an incredible book Mm -hmm. um but things that offer wisdom um and some degree of application for me are what really stick out the most. Yeah, really I, ten-
0: yeah, I, I had a, a long period, like maybe 10 years of my life where I basically decided I wasn't going to read fiction anymore. I was like, I, I only yeah. want to read stuff that I can learn from. And I, yeah. I, I just dug into all these, like, and self-help is a really broad it's such a broad category, but right. you know, I'd, I'd read books on speaking. I'd read books on sales. I'd read books on uh, just general self-help, on relationships, on how to become mm-hmm. a man, like all, all this different stuff I read and I just absorbed. And I guess over time, those things helped me sort of shape who I am. And yeah. I got into the Renaissance and I was starting to do research for my book. And I wanted to read some of the things that inspired the people of the Renaissance. So I read, Mm -hmm. uh, like the Decameron by Boccaccio and I started to read some Shakespeare and, um, I, I read Homer. I was like, you know, of course, like all these people would have read Homer and they, they loved Homer. So I should read Homer. And I, I have a whole new appreciation for fiction that I, that I didn't used to have. And so now I'm even like you know I, I read like 1984 and i read uh you know some hemingway and i'm just trying yeah. to absorb some of these classics because again i think like there's a reason that things become classics there's a reason yeah. that you know these stories some of these stories have been around for thousands of years or even you know for hundreds of years like there there are books that came out in early american history that they're just they're so inspiring I mean, like you read the great gatsby or or F. F. Scott's Fitzgerald. I mean, you're, there's, there's so much beauty there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have you ever read a portrait of Dorian Gray? Uh, read what? A portrait of Dorian Gray. I have not. It's definitely one to check. I love it. I reread it almost every year. Um, I think Oscar Wilde's brilliant, but I think you would enjoy it because it's very much in that same vein. Of an incredible classic that really just, it's a piece of heaven for sure.
0: Sure. I don't like, I don't know what it is about some of those period pieces too, that it's just, (laughs) it's just inspiring. It taps into you. It's, I I guess it's just, it's raw. It's emotional. It, it really taps you into like that heartbeat of life, I suppose. You know, they're, they're able to, um, I, I guess it's something I've been going through, right? I've been going through a lot of spiritual things recently. And I think so much oh. about how we get so caught up in life. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're so fixated on just going to work and making money and paying bills and our, our yeah. dreams and our goals and our ambitions that sometimes it's like, we don't even stop to think about like the people that we care about or the people, you know, the things in our lives that we truly cherish. So something I've been trying to do a practice of more recently is just being grateful and prayer and reminding myself of the things in my life that I take for granted. And I suppose that's what some of those books do, right? Is it just, it it takes you out of your life for a second and makes you realize there's more to life than just like consumerism, just the acquisition Of of things.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think like, you know, it's it's interesting to bring that up because I feel like I've been going through some similar stuff the last few weeks just with work, transition, everything. And so it's the one thing kind of talking about sitting down, thinking, being grateful, saying thank you, reprioritizing, kind of getting out of your own narrative in life and paying attention to other people and the world around you and whether that's through reading or um I love to go to museums so museums are a big thing for me too, but it's so important. I think it's so important to even say thank you because like we were talking earlier, you do all these things, you accomplish all these things, but you're never, it's like, by the time you get it, you don't even care about it. And it's so important to have the gratitude for the things you once only dreamt of.
0: Yeah. The proverbial carrot that just dangles and you're, (laughs) and you, you like, you grab it. And as you open your hands and you look and it's gone and it's back in front of you again, you're like, where did it go? How did like, how did that, how did that even happen? But, um, there, there is something very grounding about gratitude. I think just absolutely being, being grateful. I think that's a big key to big key to happiness that I've been thinking a lot about lately.
1: Yeah. And I think in a in a way, you're able to also ironically, it's almost like more thing more good things start to happen because I think you shift your perspective, and you're like, "Oh, I'm not just focusing on the one thing I don't have. I have nine amazing things, and to begin with, I was just looking at the one thing I didn't have, whereas now I'm looking at the nine incredible things I have and maybe the one thing that I feel I lack."
0: Right. There's something to the law of attraction, right? That there's, yeah. there's something to it. Like I,
1: I Very still real.
0: sometimes I'm like, you know, I, like maybe, maybe there really is some kind of charge or some kind of like energy thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently was reading through, there's this, I think it's called the gateway experience. I don't know if you've read this. It's uh <laughs> it's this declassified document from the seventies um, that the CIA did and they call it, it's like called the gateway project. And they basically were looking at mediums and meditation and they were trying, they were using like sound frequencies to allow people to escape their bodies and have like transcendental experiences and go out and like interact with the world. And it, it's really crazy. Cause like I said, this is a CIA document that got declassified, yeah. but it, he literally says that, life is a projection like everything in the universe is a projection and that there's evidence for this and of course it's like science from the 70s it's pseudoscience take it for what you will but um someone in the cia and the the government you know 40 years ago thought that or 50 years ago thought this was important enough to put together and um whether you believe in all the like the the woo-woo or not right there's a it is true that when you focus on the things you're grateful for, when you focus on the things that are good in your life, it seems like mm-hmm. more things keep coming and you, you're more encouraged, you have more energy, you get out there, you go after more things. And it's like, you're in this mindset of abundance. And so you, you give more freely, you, you receive more freely versus when you're thinking about everything that's wrong. It's like one good thing comes in and you just like grasp it. And because you grasp it so hard, it like a relationship, right? If if you believe that the only thing in your life that can make you happy is a relationship, and that's, it's going to be so hard for you to have a successful re- relationship because yeah. that person is going to be like chained up, right? There's going to be so much pressure on that person to try to be your source right. of happiness versus once you've completed yourself, once you find happiness within, you have love to give as opposed to just like always pulling. Um, right. Right and i think it's the same thing with just everything in life right the more the more you're complete the more you're grateful the more you have love to give the more those things are attracted to you
1: absolutely absolutely i think it's i think it's very much like you said the law of attraction i think what you focus on you become and when you focus on the gratitude and being and understanding that you yourself are already whole and full, and you're not lacking or needing of anything, I think those things come back to you in your life tenfold.
0: Right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Even. <Better>. Even. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Today is like the day of uh, the day of tech difficulties. I don't know what is going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. You
1: just I like, oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it, even just like basic confidence though, right. With. Yeah. Like when you feel good about yourself, you're confident, you go out, like imagine, you know, you're, you feel like everything is wrong and you go to a job interview and how different the same job interview could be in a day where you wake up and you think about everything that you're grateful for. And you think about like, I I experience it in sales all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes in sales, you get in this slump where, it's like you're just you're selling everybody. Everybody that walks in the door signs up. Like everything's going good, and then you get like ten people in a row that come in, and like you couldn't have sold them anyway. They they just weren't ready to buy. Yeah. But then you start like questioning yourself, and you're like, man, I don't, like maybe I'm losing it. I had like ten people in a row, and I couldn't sell them. And then like you kind of have this like desperation of like the next person that comes in, I've got to sell them. And then the person mm-hmm. shows up, and it's like they want to buy, but it, they can sense your your desperation, and then you'll. Yeah. And you end up in this yeah. slump where you don't sell anything for like a week and you, you're just questioning everything. You're questioning yourself and then, right. you know, something happens and you sell one person again and you're like, okay, like I can still sell. And okay. um,
1: No, I, I, it's the same way with me for castings. Like I'll, you know, think, think I'm feeling good or whatever. And I'll go in and I'll be like, Hey, I think that went really well. uh didn't get the job. And then it's like, I'll go to another casting. And it's, it's the same thing. I'm like, wow, I really, I want to book this or I need this or it's so important to me and I didn't get it. And then the fourth, third or fourth one I'll go into, I'll be like, you know what? This client would never like me. They'll never want me. It's a casting call of 200 people. And then you book it like that. (laughs) And it's Mm. because you don't want it because you don't have that, desperation. And it's, it's, I think sometimes too, like, there's just a presence versus even I struggle with it to having control over the situation or wanting to be able to control the situation. And a lot of times when I just take a step back and I'm like, you know what, I'll I'll just give it to the universe, give it to God. And honestly, it usually works out much, much better for me to, like you say, just force it to have force, you know, your clients to sign up or to do whatever it is. It's like, it's, it's just too much. Um. That,
0: that makes me think of this story. So when I was doing Brazilian jitsu and I was competing, I, I put mm-hmm. so much pressure on myself because I, I wanted to be a world champion. Like this was it. And mm-hmm. I would do all these big tournaments and I'd always get like third place or second place. Like I always was on the podium, but I never got first. And the first like gold medal, well, not the first gold medal, the first big gold medal that I got at a big competition. I remember I was, we were in New York. It was at this like big, uh, New York pro. It was like the first time that the organization had done this tournament. And I was there with a couple of friends and I was just burnt out. Like I, I just, I I was really, I was like, man, they they were all excited to compete. And I was like, man, I don't want to fucking be here. Like I'm tired of cutting weight. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of like, just training all the time and my body hurts. And I was like, I just don't even want to be here. Like, I don't want to compete. I just want to get this over and go home. And I got a goal. Mm -hmm. I got gold that day. I like, I destroyed everybody. (laughs) And then, uh, I went and I did the absolute and, um, the absolute is like open weight class. So I was going against people that were a lot bigger and I did really well. And the guy I lost to, like, just destroyed everyone he submitted every single person that he went with and i lost to him by like a couple points you know and and that guy's this is many years later but that guy's like now a black belt world champion so wow it it was when i just didn't care that i i did well and it's ironic that that was happening at a time when i kind of like quit jujitsu and i stopped training for a while and (laughs) that was probably when i was at my very best was that day that i just didn't even want to be there i just
1: yeah 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 it's so funny it's like the grave irony of life it's like how do I find this yin and yang between wanting doing being my best and then also just knowing that like I can't I I have no control over certain things and it's it's just a divine I don't know it's crazy I struggle with it all the time
0: yeah it's a balance
1: one of it is but it's one of the things that I I think is it haunts me the most because it's such a fine line in my mind to be like, I did my absolute best versus should I do something more? Am I doing enough? Um, um I don't know. it's something, it's something I really, I really, it's a, it's a hard, hard place to be. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, it's a hard, like I've, I've been thinking so much lately through philosophy, too, about these, like these polarities where a lot of times we think that we just want to be in the middle, you know, we want to find that line. But the problem is the line is like always changing too, right? Because in one situation, it's like maybe you need to be five steps to the left of the line. And then in another situation, you need to be five steps to the right of the line. It's, It's not like this straight line. We have to be able to zigzag and at times, maybe shift to one side or, um, back to the other side. And I think maybe that's the part that's frustrating, right? It was like just as human beings, we're like, "Give me the blueprint. Like this is the way to do it." But it's just it. There's Um, no blueprint. There's there's just a way for every situation.
1: Yeah, and I think too, like. I don't, I don't know a ton about jujitsu, but I'm going to make a a sweeping generalization that it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of focus, um, and structure. And Mm -hmm. I work great with structure. I'm like, okay, tell me, tell me what I need to do to check the boxes and we can get it done. How do we fast track this? How do we do this? And, you know, life is kind of this, it, it doesn't work like that. It's a, it's a much more energetic, holistic experience of, like you're saying, kind of being on this continuum of, of fluctuations and undulations. And so it's more about learning to pivot and adjust than it is having someone pass you a sheet of paper and say, check the boxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an adventure.
0: <laughs> yeah. J- Jiu-jitsu is the same way, by the way, it's chaos. Like everyone, everyone talks about like, oh, it's the gentle art and all that. But you're, it's human chess. It's like, you're literally, you're, you're sparring with somebody, you're competing with someone and they want to apply leverage to choke you unconscious or to break your limbs. And you want to do the same to them. And wow. there's just, there's points and there's time. And sometimes th- there are like rules in jujitsu, like never do this, never do that. But just like life wow. there, there are times where that's not true. Like you know, someone may say, never do this move. Never, ever, ever do this move. Like this move sucks. It's terrible. If you do this move, you're going to get beat every single time. And then there'll be like one person that decides to make that their move. And they'll just defeat everyone with the move that like everyone said you're not supposed to do because it's terrible. And it, you know, it
1: just,
0: people, people just make it work. Just, just like life. Yeah. I guess.
1: yeah. It's about making it work at the end of the day.
0: I think so. Yeah with um I, I wanted to ask you to i know you said you read philosophy um what you know any any particular philosophers that you really are into or anything you've learned from philosophy
1: oh absolutely i mean i think the the biggest for me which is also probably the most well known is i i love meditations by marcus aurelius mm-hmm. i think it's incredible i read it i was like wow. Where where has this been all my life? Right. Um, I, stoics as a whole, are. It's such an incredible philosophy for dealing with life, and I, at times, can be, very neurotic, and I'm also a warrior, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this happens? Oh my gosh, what? And I drive myself and everyone else around me crazy. So, finding something to temper that and to look especially from a much more, like I think with the, Marcus Aurelius and many of the cynics I would argue, or Stoics, not Cynics Stoics. I was thinking of Seneca in my head. That's mm-hmm. my, he's my favorite. I think he's uh, really interesting and he's very diesel, which I like. Um, uh, but they dealt with things as one as they were. And I also feel like they had such a great ability to pull back from the problem at hand and kind of look at the macro scale of what was happening, what that effect would be, and to evaluate it from a much more logical standpoint, which I think sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, just very honestly, like, I mean, I take a lot from Stoicism and Buddhism, but I also know that i'm hardwired to be like i said neurotic to worry about things to be like oh my gosh is this enough is that did i do that correctly so having literature and philosophy and really being able to connect with these people and these thinkers from the past who were so successful and were able to manage their lives and their emotions, which are far more difficult than anything I deal with in a daily in a daily scale um is a really incredible thing mm-hmm. and I just i I'm so grateful that I found that wisdom to implement my own life
0: definitely i I love the stoics right there there's so much practical wisdom and stoicism. Yeah. And a lot of it is about acceptance. And a lot of it is about Mm -hmm. learning, you know, as like Eckhart Tolle would say, like learning to be the outside observer, right, of your emotions, as opposed to letting your emotions run you, being the person that steps outside and says, I am a person that's feeling anger is very different Mm -hmm. than feeling anger. And. I will tell you right because it's all about that balance. I don't know if you've if you've ever heard the there's like a stoic fragment about a stoic teacher that was on a ship. And so he's he's on this ship and then there's a huge storm that comes in and basically everyone thinks they're going to die. Like this ship's about to capsize. It's getting broken apart. Everyone is clinging on the 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 ship like just holding on, hoping they don't get thrown overboard, including the stoic philosopher who's supposed to be this like sage like you know, monk that is unmoved by life and everything. And so they, they finally make it out. You know, they, they survive somehow and they're getting out. Everybody's like exhausted. They didn't sleep. Everyone's stressed out. I mean, imagine being on a boat in the middle of the ocean thinking you're going to die for five hours straight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they're all unloading. And of course, they're probably all looking like rats that just like crawled out of the sewer. And some guy kind of jests at the Stoic philosopher and he says, you know, Hey, you know, for being a Stoic philosopher, you were clinging onto the edge of the ship pretty hard. Right. And he responded that because I'm a Stoic philosopher, I am smart enough to understand what I have to lose, which he's talking about his life, right? Because of his ability to have a little bit of wisdom, he understands the, importance of life and so he was fearful to lose it and i think that you know the lesson that i take from that story is that it's natural to have these emotions right i think sometimes people construe stoicism into being this thing where you're not supposed to be emotional you're not supposed to fear it's feeling those things understanding that it's part of a part of being human and sure. you know just kind of using our logic to navigate those things as opposed to letting them just control us so
1: yeah Absolutely. No, yeah. I, I, that's a very wise perspective on it. And I love that story. That's, that's a great one. I think it's,
0: you know, like I said, it's a stoic fragment. I can't remember where it came from. I th- it might've been like Mus- Musonius Rufus or something, but um, I believe where I read it for the first time was in how to think like a Roman emperor by Donald Robertson. I okay. believe that that's where I read it. So. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I've got a couple of questions I ask all my guests. I just want to kind of run through um, just a little bit about like habits and some of the things that, you know, you (laughs) do that maybe people can take from your experience. So the first one I like to ask is if you have any like major setbacks or road, like roadblocks or crossroads that you've experienced in your life and, you know, maybe what was it and what was a lesson that you pulled from that thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, probably it was getting sober three years ago, um, mm. which is a really, it's a huge milestone for me. It's not something I talk about publicly a lot, um, but I'll celebrate three years of sobriety this August next month, um, which is a huge... Yeah,
0: that's, that's Thanks. awesome. Good for you.
1: Um, But it was... It was the way I I kind of always like to sign it up, sum it up is that sobriety was the greatest journey home to myself. And it was such a, I think asking for help and getting help could be seen as a setback or a step forward. For me, um, I definitely see it as a massive step forward and just kind of the ultimate redirection of my own life. Um, but it's hard, you know, I I struggled with alcohol and drug addiction for a decade of my life. So from the time I was 18 to the time I was 28, I don't feel like those years really mattered or had much purpose. I mean, I did Mm -hmm. things, I accomplished things, but they weren't to the magnitude or even to the value. Um, of what I wanted. And it's, it's hard to be in your late 20s and be like, wow, I've done nothing with my life, and I can't stand the people around me. And I don't feel like who I actually am, and what I've become even correlate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily looking back take it as is a step back. I'm dealing with, you know, Stoic philosophy. And I'm sure you know that if you were to ask any of the Stoics, they would say, this is, this was your fate. This is what it was supposed to be. And this was a gift given to you. And so for me, I, I really see it from that perspective, because I don't think I could be the person at 31 years old, if I didn't have that 10 year experience. And at the end of that, the journey back to myself. Um, so what I feel like could be one of the hardest parts of my life is actually simultaneously the most rewarding and one of the moments I'm the most proud of.
0: That that's really beautiful. And I, I, you know, yeah. I thank, I thank you for sharing that. I know it's very personal too. So, um, I, I think that some people will be inspired by that. And I think that your, you know, your story is really, really striking because as you mentioned, like a lot of times things are kind of like hidden blessings, you know what I mean? Like, for example, you can get fired from a job and it feels terrible, but it's actually this like great opportunity because it, you know, you get out there and you start that business or whatever, where it's, it doesn't, it's not really like that bad or like that traumatic, right. But dealing with something like addiction, right. It's, it's hard to see a positive that comes out of that. It's it's just yeah. a terrible experience for anyone to go through and so I think for you to be able to look back on that and still be grateful for that experience because it made you who you are and it probably gives you a lot more gratitude for life and the person that you are. I think that that's that that's really inspiring, right? Because it's showing how bad something can be and you can still pull something positive out of that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it was it's been such an interesting catalyst in the last three years, like learning how to be an adult person and how to navigate life. And um, it's also given me the confidence to ask for more and to also not see obstacles as ending points for myself. Because I know, I'm like, Oh, okay, like, I've I've been through things that are bigger, darker, deeper, etc. I can go through this. I can push through this. I know what I'm capable of. Um, I think the biggest for me was when I started modeling again, because two and a half, three years ago, I was working as a medical sales rep. Um, and I hadn't really touched modeling or done much with it since I was young, like I was saying, 13, 14 years old. So I thought I was like, you know, I'm, I don't feel like the best version of myself. And I know that if I can make it through these darkest moments, I can go and venture. And even if I fail, I'll still be okay. I can still go do something else or try something else. When I started my brand, it was the same philosophy. I was like, why not try? Who cares? It fails. No one wants to buy the product. Great. You can go do something else. Like, no, it's not, it's not that, um, earth shattering and some of the things in my life that I've experienced have been and I've made it through. And so I feel okay taking calculated, I should say, I should preface that, calculated risk. Um, And I'm, I'm so grateful that I was given kind of this bad experiences because it's given me so much more in the process of healing
0: for sure that that's awesome and it's something that i i really and that that's a huge part of my book it's a huge part of my my belief set right is that um just just like the stoics right i I always say life doesn't happen to you it happens for you right like all these things that happen it's it's your fate and yeah i think that's one thing that with kind of like people aren't really into religion as much anymore and I think that's something that we've really, really lost in society and part of, you know, my belief is part of why we're so, it's so chaotic is because people look at the chaos and they can't see like the beauty of it, right? They can't, they don't have any belief that there is, you know, the ancient Greeks believed that there was this like spinner that would weave our fate and people believed that God was kind of orchestrating things. And when you see bad things happening or you see chaos and you believe that there's like a benevolent force or you believe there's a reason for it it's a little bit easier to swallow versus like you're just out there in the chaos and there's no reason for anything (laughs) yeah it's uh just a a very different experience
1: sorry
0: you're good um so i'm gonna
1: have to put my phone up i'm so sorry
0: oh you're good it's battery, but I'm here. We can. Okay. Out. We're wrapping up too, so.
1: Sorry. No, we're good. I just. Uh, our phones are so. So terrible. all over the place. Yeah. They're terrible. We're not ready for this podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. So the next thing I want to ask you, um, I like to ask everyone about habits, right? Habits are hugely, hugely crucial. And the people that we become, the things that we achieve, what, what sort of daily habits do you like to engage in? Um,
1: I would say I have, I, my, there's two things that really help me. The first thing is, and this is like so simple, um, I feel like if you're not really a daily habit person or you don't know where to start, I love having my coffee and just kind of setting my intentions for the day. Not being on my phone, not talking to people, not dealing with emails or being bombarded, but actually just having a moment of, I'm very, very sleepy in the morning. And so having a moment just to sit, drink coffee, set my intentions, think about the day ahead of me, what I wanna do who I want to go to bed as and kind of mentally like get in that headspace so that by the time I do start answering emails or taking phone calls or I'm in the car headed to work, whatever, I'm not bombarded by all these different things. It's kind of giving Mm -hmm. myself the space to wake up in the morning and to be present for the day. Um, the other thing that I really love to do, you can do it once a day, twice a day is I listen to, I'm going to totally butcher this. So (laughs) I'm sorry, but I believe it's pronounced Ho'opono Ono. Um, it's a Hawaiian prayer or chant. And it basically says, I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, It's my morning meditation and also my evening meditation. And I feel like it gives me, I visualize saying it to a younger version of myself or or my inner, inner child, as kind of maybe corny as that sounds. But it gives me a lot of peace and it centers me. And I feel like even with the, stresses or pressures from life or from myself or from my own expectation when i'm able to look at myself and who i am and even visualize the younger version of myself Mm -hmm. i'm so much nicer and more hopeful and i think those are probably like my two biggest daily habits for myself but yeah really (laughs)
0: yeah super important and you know I had just had a conversation the last podcast I did um, I talked with the guy he's you know we talked a little bit about Greek Orthodox so he's he's Greek Orthodox Mm -hmm. and some I've had a lot of guests bring this up like talk about prayer and something that I've been doing and actually the reason that my alarm kept going off is because I have timers set for like prayer and I normally try to remind myself during the week So, you know, I'll do it like first thing when I get up, I'll do like a meditation and take a cold bath. Um, And then I'll do like, you know, like a prayer kind of like centering around like one o'clock, five o'clock. And then usually like at night and then before I go to bed and. Like, that's like how prayer is supposed to work, right? Because it's about connecting you to. Yeah to God. It's about connecting you to, and you know, in your case, right, you're connecting yourself more to the person that you want to be your idea of yourself. And we're, we're running through life where it's like everything is moving a million miles an hour. There's all these things going on. And when you don't just connect, you just get disconnected. You just, you get like a, you're like a little, yeah, you're like a rat in a maze and you're just running around just trying to like find your food, (laughs) trying to find the water. And yeah, Prayer is so powerful for that. I mean, I, I think that that's really, that's the point of prayer. And I, when you look at like Islam, that's, that's where so much of the, their culture and the beauty of their religion comes from is that that mm-hmm. the act of like prayer and submission multiple times, reminding yourself and connecting yourself to something beyond yourself. I think that's really, really powerful, you know, whether you're religious or spiritual or none of the sort, even if you're just envisioning your inner child and reminding yourself of what kind of person that child wanted to grow up into and Mm -hmm. trying to be that person. I mean, that that's incredibly impactful as well. Thank you. All right, I'm going to ask you now about the the book recommendations. So you gotta you gotta narrow it down to two, or if you really can't do two, I'll I'll allow you to have a third. Sometimes people throw a third one out there. But what what are your top two book recommendations?
1: I would, I mean, I feel bad because I think I've already said both of them today. Okay, so I would So I would definitely, definitely recommend Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I think especially both of us, Renaissance Wisdom and kind of having a stoic flair, I think it's only appropriate sure. <laughs> to include that meditation. Um, I really love the Four Agreements as well. Um, but I love that one because I feel like it's very tactile and I feel like it gives, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. I love, I love the check boxes, right? It's like, here Mm -hmm. are actual steps. It's not as meta. It's not as philosophical, even though I think there's a great amount of philosophy in it. It's very like, how can I improve day one and you, it's not like you have to spend a lot of money or like, Oh, I'm going to wake up and change my whole life. It's just very simple things mm-hmm. that I think positively impact your everyday living. Um, how you talk to people, how you talk to yourself, how you, you know, handle certain issues, et cetera. So I would say the four agreements and meditations by Marcus Aurelius.
0: Great, great, great recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> And and I, I have more <laughs> I'm sure you do i i approve those are those are a good two to choose for sure yeah,
1: yeah. I'll save it for our next podcast
0: <laughs> what about what about heroes do you have any personal heroes or anyone you look up to
1: i mean my my parents for me are are definitely my heroes i think they're two of the hardest working yet most giving people, they both come from very, very humble beginnings. And they've been able to do so much for themselves and for the people around them. Um, And I love my family. I'm also an only child. So I'm very connected to my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have so much admiration for the love and the patience that they've shown me throughout the years. So I would I definitely choose my mom and
0: my dad. Awesome. I'm I'm an only child too, actually.
1: Yay. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's uh I, every, that's like the, the definitely the most popular answer is yeah. parents. That like mom or dad. I think that's the really big one for, for everybody. I think that's really cool.
1: There's definitely other people I look up to, don't get me wrong, but sure. I also don't know. And I don't know yeah. the ends and ends, the workings of, you know. I could say, "Oh, I really love this model or this business person or this artist," but have I sat with them? Have I seen them at their worst? Have I seen different aspects of their personality? No, they could be awful people for all yeah. know, you know. But um, I know who my my parents are and who my family is, and and I think the world of them.
0: Awesome, yeah. I. I think that it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense, right. For it to be someone that you, like you said, you know, intimately, because, um, sometimes we have a tendency to idolize folks that really shouldn't be idolized. You know, maybe we can look up to them in one aspect, like, Hey, they're a great painter. Let me, let me pull this inspiration, but maybe that's all they have to offer. So, yeah. And then the last question, which you sort of maybe gave an answer to this already, uh, I always like to ask people if you could go back in time and give mm-hmm. a piece of advice to a younger you, presumably a, you know, angsty teenage version of yourself, whatever, give yourself some advice. What would the piece of advice be?
1: I, w- I would say that this is going to sound like very Yoda ask, but the answers that you're looking for, you already have. The things you seek, the things you want, you already have. Um, and you ought the things you want to know, you already know. Um, I think it's just a—it's a much larger understanding of it's already yours you already know it, you already have it. The answers that you want are inside of you. They've always been inside of you. You've never had to look for other people or validation or approval or anything. Um, The things you want in life, you already have. Uh, The happiness you seek, it's already yours. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: think that if the one thing I could go back in time and tell myself, it, it would be to share that wisdom.
0: It's it's really well said. And it's, it's similar to what the most popular answer has been. The most popular answer has kind of been like, keep going, or, you know, trust, trust your path or be patient and everything will work out. But I I like you kind of take it a step beyond and it's, you already have it within you. It makes me think of, I have, I have a like a print of this painting of Diogenes meeting Alexander. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story either, but yeah. um, might might be a good spot to end off. But yeah, there's Diogenes the cynic and he's known for being quite a, a rough fellow. He lived in a barrel and he was known to do things like masturbate in public and pee. And they called him right. the dog because he just, people would throw scraps at him and he'd eat them off the ground and he'd urinate in the streets. And at the same time, people really. <laughs> What's that?
1: I said it's like current day West Hollywood. <laughs>
0: there you go. Yeah, it's like Skid Row all over again. Uh, so, people really look up to him, though. He had a lot of wisdom, and he just basically believed that everything we had and everything, everything that we needed, we already had. And yeah, you know, one thing that he had a a barrel. He had a cloak, uh, just like a garment that would keep him warm, and he had a spoon. One day he saw a child drinking out of the river and he was using his hands. And he was so disgusted with himself because that's what he was using his spoon for. So reportedly he just (laughs) took a spoon and he chucked it. He got rid of the spoon and then he only had two possessions. So uh, Alexander the Great was a young man. He had just inherited a kingdom. He was about to go conquer the world and he was visiting Athens. And he heard about Diogenes and he wanted to go meet this man that everyone called the dog. And... He went out and Diogenes was laying in the sun and his entourage walked over him and they, you know, they walked in front of the sun as they stood over him and they said, rise up for your king. And Diogenes is unimpressed. He just kind of like rolled over and laid there. And Alexander said that he would give him anything that he wanted in the kingdom. Anything that you ask, I can give it to you. And his reply was to stop blocking the sun. That was all he needed. (laughs) And supposedly that he was, Alexander was so impressed as they walked off. He reportedly said that if he was not Alexander, he would want to be Diogenes. Um hmm. And it just, it just made me think of, you know, what you said yeah. made me think of that, right. Is that we have everything we need. We have the happiness. We have the, the love. We, I mean, we think that we need all these things, but we really don't. And well- that's, wisdom is understanding how little you really need that we already have it all
1: yeah and i think just looking for the answers for yourself internally yeah um you you don't need anything you don't need any of these things um and just being able to to really understand that sometimes to Like I can, I can even think back to when I was younger and I would see certain things and, um, maybe I would connect pieces, but other people didn't, or I would, you know, put together, be like, Oh, I think this is a really good idea. And other people would be like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't see it. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized those were my blessings to see. They weren't for other people. They Mm -hmm. weren't for, you know, other people to understand what i needed to see in that um i feel like it was god and the universe kind of being like this is for you so whether it's a friendship or it's a a professional relationship that's something you know you should monetize or whatever that's for you and so yeah
0: well said i think (laughs) i think that that is a really you know it's a really good place to to end off i really enjoyed speaking with you if, if anybody, such... sorry, what was that?
1: Oh, I said it was such a pleasure, Shane. Thank oh, you. Absolutely.
0: And if anybody yeah. was wanting to look, look you up or get in touch with you, um, how, how should people reach out?
1: Um, I would say you can always DM me on Instagram. Um, if you want a more professional approach or anything like, I don't, I've, I feel like Instagram's <laughs> yeah. the way to go. Also, always email me at my email address, lakeandromine at gmail.com. Feel free to check out my website. And I hope to connect with any of the viewers that watch this and the story and the questions today resonated with.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on the show. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Shane. Thanks. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, and hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com Or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.